Hello and welcome to All Systems Argo. Today we're looking at 2014 Best Picture winner Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Our special guest for today is friend of the pod, Scott Cease, stand-up comedian and viral TikToker. Thanks, Scott, for coming on. If you haven't seen Birdman, it stars Michael Keaton, playing washed-up actor Riggin Thompson as he produces a play that parallels his life after falling from the height of his career. Riggin's mind plays tricks on him as he sees himself through the role of his superhero alter ego, Birdman. This episode covers a multitude of topics, so we would like to present a trigger warning to our audience as this episode discusses sexual assault, suicide, and mental health. Without further ado, stay with us as we discover new things about Argo and uncover the connections between Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of All Systems Argo. That's right. We've been recording for two minutes. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, the inimitable Jess Hassell. How are you, Jess? I have once again watched Argo, in fact. And, you know, I think I've been asleep uh, every time we watch this because I have discovered new scenes. <laughs> well, you, you've you've had some coffee. You've had some coffee this time. The espresso kick. I have seen so many new things that I must have just my eyes must have glazed the fuck over. Let me just give uh, the listener some context. It's uh, it's about one fifteen a.m. <laughs> on a Friday evening. Uh, sorry, a Saturday morning. <laughs> Uh, I have not slept properly in several days. We're all very tired. We have just watched f- fully, fully um, seconds ago, finished a watch of the movie Argo, as always. And uh, in this episode, we're joined by uh, Scott C. Scott, how are you? Argo, fuck yourselves. How about that? <laughs> Give a nice Argo, fuck yourselves. Um, Ar- okay, so we just watched Argo. Thank you for having me, first of all. You know, I'm glad to be here. Glad to have watched sure, Argo. Sure, you can lie. You know, this was probably one of the most inconvenient asks I've ever had. I was once asked to do like stand up at a at a bratwurst eating competition. No. And uh yes. And they asked me to wear like leader hosen <laughs> to do my set before the bratwurst eating competition. And th- this was a this was a harder thing for me to say yes to than that. This was more inconvenient to me that to be like, let's watch the di- the director's cut of Argo. And then record a podcast immediately following watching Argo. <laughs> I gave you a lot of a lot of time to think about whether you wanted to do this, and you made the wrong choice. <laughs> you made the wrong choice, and now you're here. I'm so glad. I am so glad I'm here. <laughs> I've never seen Argo before. This was my first viewing of Argo. <laughs> yep. And now it's like, yeah, I feel like it's all I know now is Argo. I don't even want to talk about Birdman. I just want to talk about Argo for three hours. I literally feel so validated by your watch of Argo. There's someone else who's like, that shit was crazy. 
I'm going to be honest. Normally, we talk about our our comparison movie first. And I think today we're going to vary it up a little bit. And we're going to start by talking a, a bit about Argo. Because it's Argo. very fresh. Uh, now, I, I of course, saw, as I've said many times in this stupid podcast, uh, I've, said Ar- I've seen Argo you know, back in 2013 or something. And I was too young to really register how crazy that is, the whole uh-huh. Hollywood angle is. <laughs> so it's really... It's really something to hear you lose your mind oh, over yeah. uh, how it just turns into, I, you called it the producers. <laughs> it turns into the producers. There's a scene where they're literally looking for bad scripts like they do in the producers. They're looking for the springtime for Hitler to do in Iran. It's just, it's the craziest. I I didn't know the movie was about making movies like now i know why it won the oscar like why like hollywood like liked it because i to me argo was always like oh it's boring it's like it's bland it's a bland movie why did it win i have no clue there's nothing doesn't seem to be any memorable performances in it but it's like oh it's about making movies it's a movie that won because it was deeply relatable to the people who rate movies Right, right. It becomes, <laughs> it's Ocean's Elevens for the, for the producers' guild. Like that's what it is. It's like, yeah, we're uh, we're directors, but we're also spies sometimes. That's it. Like, I hate being reminded that the CIA has like deep roots in Hollywood while I'm watching a movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> Are you telling me that you didn't want to see uh, a CIA heist movie that's centered in Hollywood <laughs> and pretended to be about Iran? <laughs> I got to be honest, this movie does make me think that every movie I've ever seen has been a covert operation to get <laughs> hostages out of a foreign country. Like now I'm like, I want to go back and watch Wonder Woman 1984 and be like, were they getting, were they getting hostages out of Egypt right here in the scene? Or what were they doing with this? It's fascinating, CIA's deep roots in Hollywood, um, because they hire a lot of people straight out of art school. They hire, you know, like Tony Mendez was an artist who was hired primarily to do forgeries. Which is amazing. And like fake documents. Because you get the only one scene. You get one singular second of seeing him work on a forgery. Oh, yeah. Right. No, he's mostly a Hollywood idea, man. Blink and you miss it. <laughs> The reason why he was hired, blink and you miss it. His main jobs in ascending order of importance. One, forger. Two, exfil man. Three, Hollywood liaison. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of Hollywood. Most of the movie is Ben Affleck and Alan Arkin and John Goodman sipping whiskey in the Hollywood Hills, just like (laughs) clinking glasses. There's a scene of Alan Arkman, Alan Arkman, Alan Arkman, Alan Arkin and, uh, and, um, Ben Affleck leaning on some steps and eating tacos. Yeah. It's like, let's get some fucking tacos. And you're like, okay, I guess, I guess that's what this movie is now. They've just negotiated, uh, (laughs) the future of these hostages and they're like well you know we'll just leverage unions and then grab tacos afterward in order to save these people they're like hey the hostages have a uh, 48 hours to live affleck what, what are we doing and affleck's like i'm going to the premiere of ferris bueller's day off 
<laughs> like for for uh, for the main characters, it's been almost seventy days since the the hostage situation began. But for us, it's been five minutes, so right. it doesn't feel the stakes are not there. We see them go into that little. Ha- they we see them go into a hatch um, where they're clearly hiding once. Yeah, because they heard a helicopter like, go like over uh, the ambassador's house, and you'd see that, and you're like, "Oh no, host! This is you're reminded. Yep, this is this is bad. They're in a bad situation." But then, like, there's no follow up. There's no time at all. You just can't tell. Yeah, the biggest flaw of the movie is that there's 135 characters, and like the movie can't. <laughs> The movie can't sustain arcs for over a hundred characters. Like we needed to see more of the hostages and get to know them. But instead we're left with just like a parade of every white, like man actor over 50 years old. As a like 13 year old watching this movie, the entire cast is 24 alumni. All of them guested in twenty four. But like, we get one scene of the hostages getting kind of snippy with each other because the oldest guy uh, went out into the the yard, which is psycho. It's insane. Helicopters are actively looking for you, and you decide to go outside to smoke. And yet, if we had an understanding of them, it has been nearly two months. Like it's like oh okay well that may, I mean that's bad but I get it. It would have been I amazing understand. to see a scene if, if they if this movie had a sense of time right it could have given mm-hmm. us a scene where we see him like becoming more irritable I guess as he like really wants the cigarette and trying to sneak out of the house like if we'd seen the action of him trying to do that. Like and his thought process a little bit, it would have made for an understanding of this is a high stake situation. You literally cannot be seen. Why are you a crazy person doing this? And there's and the I one mean, part where she's watching like a full on execution with like the curtains drawn completely open. Like she's she's like standing <laughs> at an open window watching an well, execution ten feet away. That was the maid. That was Sahar. Oh, was that Sahar? One of the only named Iranian characters. Uh, <laughs> Whose reward for being loyal is escaping to Iraq. Um, I did an exercise this episode to try to get the names of (laughs) some of the brown characters. And we all know Sahar. If you've been a listener of this podcast, you know Sahar. But (laughs) for the uninitiated, we've got Sahar. And then we've also got Ali and Reza. And I'm like, okay, so there are other brown characters with names. Yeah, you need to close captions to know the name. (laughs) (laughs) So sad. Well, the only characters who stand out as memorable are John Goodman and Alan Arkin. And maybe Brian Cranston because they have personality. True. It's like glib, fun personality, but it's something. Nobody in Iran (laughs) gets anything except for frat guard. (laughs) That's true. No, they they just they don't have enough interaction. There's too many people in that house. It's yeah. not, it wasn't going to happen. That's why we got that montage of this is who this person is. This is who they're married to <laughs> um, during that briefing because it was supposed to pretend that we were going to get connected to these characters. Every actor is at a, a two 
energy level wise <laughs> in this movie. Like there is no energy. What's it's besides exactly what you said, John Goodman, Alan Arkin. And until like the last, like maybe 15 minutes of the movie, then people like start kicking it in, but not even Ben Affleck. Really? He's doing like almost nothing the entire time. It has to be a directorial choice because these are all good actors. Pretty much everybody in the movie is a good actor. So they have to be being told, rein it in, keep it low. They're doing it for the realism, Jamal. (laughs) They want it to be real. Exactly. Like we said in the Kramer vs. Kramer episode, like this movie is only plot. There are maybe two scenes for character reasons in the entire thing. Right. Outside of Hollywood. I don't know why those scenes exist. I don't. <laughs> it's the movie's comic relief, but it's fully 30 minutes. I mean, Ben Affleck's character just has nothing going on. Like, even when he's talking to his son, his son is just describing what he's seeing on the TV to his dad. Like, they have nothing to talk about. There's no emotional resonance at all. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes it even more funny that he wants his son to come to his award ceremony at the end. That was he one of the saddest to. things in the world. It was so dark. <laughs> want my son to know I got an award. <laughs> I want my son to know I got an award. Ab- and that's why I didn't come to his bowling birthday party. That's why I sent him a fucking postcard he's sending like his nine-year-old son a postcard it was so weird a birthday card you asshole (laughs) honestly not even a birthday card and not even sending it before the birthday he literally had a phone call with his ex-wife that Mm could have been like yeah sorry i can't make it Instead of us just getting a scene of the kid in the bowling alley and the mom wondering if he's going to show up. Yeah, there was no there was no reason reason given like why he was being cagey about not making it to the birthday party. And then there was definitely no reason he couldn't send the card. He sent the card the evening of the son's birthday. So he knew it wasn't going to get there. Wild, he, like he, maybe he didn't know when the mission would start, but like when the mission. Send starts, the post, but he knows what his son's birthday is for the birthday party. Call your wife and go. Hey, something came up that I can't tell you about. I can't come to the birthday party. Could I perhaps come see my son now? Don't just be <laughs> and she, relying on UPS, USPS last minute. And she goes, "Let me guess." You're pretending to make Dune in Iran again, aren't you? It's like, stop. You know that's a secret. We're not on a secure line. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, we we have become totally numb, or at least I have become totally numb to the ridiculousness of them making a sci-fi movie. Like that's nothing to me now. It it really so means you nothing. losing your mind is Great. It was everything to me. I, t- I mean, I told you, I mean, I told y'all while we were watching it, but like, I thought that this was, spe- I thought this was going to be like the Hurt Locker. I thought this was going to be like an intense, like military drama. And then when it turned into fucking Hail Caesar and they're, they're going through like pulpy sci-fi scripts, I was like, what the fuck are we watching? I mean, a full, at least like 30 minutes of this movie is just them going into different people's offices to discuss negotiations for a movie that they're not going to make, question mark? <laughs> Let me spend five minutes on a Richard Kind cameo. Why did we see Richard a- Kind? 
And a why? dick measuring contest with Alan Arkin. <laughs> like those guys should have been brought to the CIA headquarters or whatever, and then they could have like made up the script or whatever there. There was no need to live in Hollywood for a year and a half to fucking do this. As John Goodman said, Scott, uh, the, the Comite have cousins who sell carpets on La Brea, which is gross. And uh, and so they'll know if it's not a real it's not a real script. They have to they, they read the trades. They read, they read the, the trades. trades, dude. They're on fucking deadline. They're reading the fuck. The, they're getting the newsletters. They have IMDb Pro. They they know. <laughs> ben I, Affleck had the worst hair I've ever seen in this movie. This, it, it looked like my hair, like like five months into quarantine, like the hair was just out of fucking control. He, he he did have terrible hair, although also terrible. Uh, there's one scene where Brian Cranston is walking away at the end of the movie saying something about Jimmy Carter. And I don't know if it was him or like a stand in his thinning, like awful hair design. It looks looks like Dave Barry's hair. He looks like an. And a, a 50-year-old dad who has cut his hair into a bowl cut, but it hasn't taken. <laughs> I mean, Jess, you did find a lot of corduroy this time. I did find more corduroy. Oh, oh my God. The one corduroy guy at the meeting who's like, those are African kids. Those are black kids. I'm like, thank the you meeting. for saying the quiet part out loud. <laughs> I did like the, the CIA pitch meeting where they're figuring out how to skip the They're like, we can find <laughs> we can find racially appropriate kids. There are no bad options. Throw it, throw it out. Okay, this, this is a brainstorm, a, people. There are no bad place. ideas. Give it, throw it out here. while they're That's holding stupid. a feed the That's children magazine. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I'm just ben shocked Affleck. that this is real. I just had no idea about this. About this story at all. Just like them going like, oh, there's teacher. We could make them teachers. Oh, we'll make them, you know, Canadians. And Fanatic's like, no, 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 that won't work. The and only way is if we're going to make our own Star Trek. I just don't understand. <laughs> it's just the craziest thing. Make their own Star Wars. There's a blue Wookiee. <laughs> yeah. We got to make our own Star Wars. That Ben Affleck is sitting there just shooting it down like an asshole, just like he's like a critic going, okay, uh, you see that on the ground, folks? That's snow, you fucking loser. What are you <laughs> I didn't even realize in previous, like, in previous watches how freaking mean he was. He's such a dick. Like, he, he presents no man. good ideas. That entire, like, pitch meeting because it basically no. is a pitch meeting um, and, like, not a singular idea, but he's like, you know what? Why don't you pick up that fucking magazine on the table <laughs> and see that there's <laughs> snow. They can't pretend to be crop inspectors, dummy. <laughs> a bunch of the ideas appear that, like, State thought of them on the spot. Like okay, so we what if we brought them in as like um they're they're for the international school. Good idea. It closed eight months ago. Feels like something you could have researched. Like, I know Google isn't around, but I feel like you could have made a call. Also, like the fact that 
and and I mean, Jess and I have made fun of the bicycle idea before because it's patently stupid. It's amazing to but listen it, to each time. It's so good. However, it is wild that the bicycle idea is being mocked by the guy whose best plan is okay. So, so I saw Star Wars. <laughs> what if we you didn't even that? see it. He's like. Hey, listen, my kid described Star Wars to me. <laughs> like, what if he had been watching something else? Like, would they have done that? They would have gone in to make a Brady Bunch episode. <laughs> listen, my number one plan involves these things called daggets, and they're just dogs, but but they're in space. Have you guys ever heard of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Stop. <laughs> now, if we were to get... Some sort We're of radioactive waste. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best idea we've got. We've got to go for realism. We, we have a, we already have a contact in the sewers. It's a large rat. <laughs> <laughs> Oof! I mean, we haven't even talked about how the CIA is like good. <laughs> oh yeah, the whole movie is a love letter to the CIA. It's like. That's what's so weird about it. It's like this, you know, the movie is admitting that like the CIA uses Hollywood to get shit done and Hollywood has a nice relationship with the CIA where they flatter them with these movies. And it's just like, it's just like sickening to watch. It's just like these, like, I don't know. It's just so elitist, just like fucking jerking each other off. It's fucking terrible. Well, the movie is doing this whole this thing, and we've talked about this uh, a couple times. But where it's like, oh yeah, yeah, the CIA is like racist, and they're like saying racist stuff, and they're like shitty, and they like care about how they look and not about people. But like, ah, like yeah, they're Americans, and like <laughs> they're just they're showing these flaws, but they're also showing them constantly doing Aaron Sorkin West Wing walk and talks. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, the West Wing has many, many problems because it's some lib bullshit, but at least in the West Wing, I can like believe the chief of staff has the best interest of the country at heart or what he believes them to be. But it's very like, clear that like in this movie, the CIA and all the members that we're shown have no real interest in what's good. For the people, specifically the diplomats that are stuck, that they're supposed to be rescuing, they have like no, they don't demonstrate any care for them. They lean on Brian Cranston's charisma so hard. Yeah. Sell a guy whose first lines are about how, like, hey man, they get slaughtered at state's fault. <laughs> you know, state has their hands all over it. I'm. We're gonna say a okay, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna sleep like a baby. Okay, it's on them. It's on them. It's on CIA is inherently arc, good. His big arc is that he has to um, accept responsibility for any action he has taken. <laughs> <laughs> he can't just let people die. He's responsible for. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a, it's like, it's like an emotion, like the the emotional climax of the movie. <laughs> the wildest part of the whole movie was when there was like the um, the press conference being juxtaposed with the table read, and it was like a yep. person in Iran like seriously saying like, "Hey, the CIA is like fucked up and does fucked up things," and then it cuts to like 
a guy in a robot suit going like danger will robinson danger and it's like what are we trying to say oh my god are we saying that that what she was saying was as ridiculous as what this guy is saying it's a fast it's fascinating because because like worst case scenario it's doing some horrible like ah look at this crazy thing and look at this crazy thing eh. but like <laughs> Best case, it's doing some real shallow look at the shittiness of Hollywood. Look at how they don't ah, – their problems aren't real. Look at the real world problems, which like Birdman does some of too. Yes. There's a lot of uh, right. just sort of real shallow real shallow satire in Birdman uh, that this movie you know tries to do once. Yeah, it's just it's yeah, it's just odd and like the the comparison, I don't know, I don't know if it works cuz it's the table read was for something I don't know. The I'm movie the saying- movie sucked. What do you want me to say? <laughs> that the, the movie is that the director's cut of this movie is as rushed as it is. Like it it feels deeply rushed and yet also indulgently obscenely long right because mm-hmm. it's two hours and characters out of this movie that's not even a joke okay like the, no let, let's let's play this out let's game this out how many characters really okay the hostages uh out of the hostages, hostages uh the guy who speaks farsi scoot no no i think you should keep all keep all the hostages because they were in fact okay all there. you are correct just cut Kyle Chandler and like his whole office. Oh, I mean, cut almost everyone in the CIA and the White House. Yeah. I'm sorry. Quick, quick, quick jump in. Mm-hmm. Kyle Chandler and his whole office, meaning um, the Oval Office. He is the oh. chief of staff to the president. Oh, is that who he was? I didn't even understand that. Very easy not to. Impenetrable. Well, sorry. What's funny is it's like you had Kyle Chandler. And it's like, you're not even just following him. Kyle Chandler is introduced along like eight other characters that are his staff. And it's like, we don't need nine fucking guys to follow. And there's so many scenes of them just going into different offices. Like when they go in to get approval for this plan and they're explaining how it's the best bad idea. We didn't need that scene. We already know that the movie is going to be about this. We've already spent so much time in Hollywood that it's very clear that this is going to be the movie. There are fully two yep. pitch meetings, at least three meetings about approval. It yep. why? Oh, and remember we, during the show during, bureaucracy, Jamal. There were two separate scenes that ended with Alan Arkin saying, "We're going to need a script." <laughs> also, part of the climate, part of the like full-on suspenseful like sequence, final sequence of the movie is Ryan Cranston trying to find out where Kyle Chandler's kids are so that they can get a call through to Kyle Chandler and Kyle can yell, David, pick up. He's doing full like Hal from Malcolm in the Middle, like energy, like that chaotic energy running through the office. Like he might as well be on like fucking rollerblades from Malcolm in the Middle. Oh my God. He like sweet, sweet yeah. childhood right there. Just, ye- just yelling about you're a spy agency. Find him. <laughs> <laughs> Do your jobs. 
Mm-mm. Like that, I believe. I believe that the spy agency is as dumb as any other office. Same. Of course. With the same office bullshit. And honestly, so much of the movie really is telling us, yeah, the government, they're just, the CIA, they're just fucking around just like everybody else. Honestly, that's the most realistic part of the fucking movie. Straight up multiple times. Bully, bully three? No, either two or three times in the movie, the mission is canceled because a different government actor notices that it's happening. Yeah, <laughs> notices. Yep. That they're they- funding a. They're funding fucking Dune. They're funding <laughs> the Black Hole, and like. They're like, no, stop, stop this. They bring in a different 60 year old white actor to say no. There's like five scenes where an identical old man comes in. Bob Gunton, Kyle Chandler. They just keep wheeling them in. (laughs) Also, uh, by the way, um, I just thought I should tell you, and I mentioned the. The historical inaccuracies. Uh, so none of the tense ending to the movie happened. They just left. <laughs> okay, they, did, they just they didn't, got on a plane and they flew away. They didn't have the runway chase. They didn't have a runway no. chase where, uh, off, where full on a weapon is brandished and pointed at a plane. They did not have the Fast and the Furious Six, where a man forgets how to drive a bus he's been driving his whole life or his whole career. Uh, just to add tension, are they going to get out of the airport? It all depends on if this man can drive this bus. Uh, also, um, th- there was one point when the mission was canceled. It happened before Antonio Mendez left for Iran. Like it was not. Th- it went fine. It went fine. <laughs> it was actually easy. I mean, this again, best picture winner. Best picture winner. I mean, I feel like. I honestly feel like it's just because this is about movies and there were some jokes about like Hollywood in there. Yep. And speaking of movies about movies. <laughs> yeah. Birdman. Yep. Birdman. You know, when I suggested that, I didn't realize how much they were going to have in common in that way. <laughs> honestly, honestly. Uh, side note before we transition into Birdman with that segue. Um, when they announced the best picture winner for this movie, uh, it was announced by Michelle Obama live from the diplomatic room of the White House. No, it Holy wasn't. Shit. Absolutely not. Live. She opened the Academy Award envelope and she's flanked by like Marines. <laughs> no. Weird to God, dude. I think every movie is a cover for a CIA op now. I, I, that's the only explanation. That for is this some shit. painful prop. Right there. Painful propaganda. That is some agitprop red law. That is powerful. Especially considering that Canada did most of the operation. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, comparatively, Birdman, um, Birdman's really something. Birdman Uh, is absolutely not uh, bland. It is a lot of things. It's not bland. And as a segue to it, I'm just going to straight up ask, hey, remember the sexual assault in the be- in the middle of that movie? Yeah. 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 That was the, not the Ed Norton boner scene. <laughs> I. Yeah. What of many. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, you go, yeah, you go Ed Norton boner scene. I go, well, which one? Because he had a lot Stop! It's like I literally I was watching it and I was like, oh, Ed Norton is in this. He's like a very serious, like kind of dude. This is gonna be interesting. And then like he's immediately evil. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I like Ed Norton. <laughs> Like Ed Norton gives, I would argue, a very good performance. Oh, absolutely! He's oh, sure. But his character should be arrested. It literally, should be under the jail. <laughs> how how does that happen? Forty minutes in, and then the movie's like, okay, so he's still a character, right? The movie's we, just we like, well, him. you know, technically she kicked him out. I guess uh, shrugs into the middle distance. It, it was. It was just. It was just an awkward experience between people who were dating on stage when she repeatedly told him no and was in a public setting and is horrible. Uh, it's cool that he's like going to romance Emma Stone. That's cool now. It, can it feels that. like whoever wrote it just didn't believe in marital rape, but it's fine. <laughs> the movie is like, yeah, yeah we're, just, we're proceeding past this. This isn't this is a comedy scene. This is not of import. We're going to make jokes about it in the following scenes. I mean, this movie was written by four men. You'd think one of them, at least. No. At least one of them <laughs> would go. I mean, when I say you'd think, I mean, like, you wouldn't. Like, of course they wouldn't notice. But you'd, you'd wish. You'd right. wish one of them I just feel go. like sometimes mm-hmm. when people rec- when people write stuff, I just wish they would just show it to, like, one person who wa- isn't like them. Just show it. Just show it. Yeah. To, just show it to someone else. You know what I mean? I agree. I agree. <laughs> and just let them just like give it a good solid skim, and be like, "Huh, maybe uh, maybe that part ain't so casual, fam." It, so everyone brought up the same scene when we asked what they didn't like, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we we have run this through like like focus groups and there's there's one scene that we keep getting zero out of tens for (laughs) (laughs) and i don't i don't know if you guys want that i just i want you to be aware uh he was already a like he was an asshole he really was and there and the and the movie does not want us to think he's really that much like the movie honestly condemns him more for stealing michael keaton's shit like yeah for his stealing does. his prestige yeah then it does for his act of sexual assault on stage what? yeah it's one of the it's one of these movies where it's it's another one of these like oh like entertainment movies where you know people are just i don't know obsessed with oh is this actor's ego in check or is it out of control or and he's always like they're just like measured by like is the work that they're doing good is it liked by critics is it making money and it's like there's there's never a closer look at like the consequences of any of the horrible shit that they do it's just kind of like these are just the quirks of being in the entertainment industry and it's like uh you're all pieces of shit (laughs) (laughs) exactly scott like watch like watching these movies they both have like a sense of like restlessness where they never stop showing you things, but no one in the movie actually takes a second to really reflect on the fact that they're all bad people. (laughs) (laughs) And this movie specifically is wild because there's four, four like supporting women in the movie who are all negatively affected 
by the shitty behavior of the men. And the movie uh, d- uh, does not focus on them ever. Honestly, yeah. like all of them are like, overshadowed. Yeah. Yep. Like Andrea Risborough, her and um and uh and Naomi Watts kiss, that is never followed up. That is also so, yeah. such an awful scene. I forgot about that. It was it's, it was like so weird to watch because you're watching yeah. you're watching one person tell another person what they wanted to hear, and then it gets said again between the two women, and then they're like, Well, sure. <laughs> It just it just felt so <laughs> gross, <laughs> and I'm gay. And, it <laughs> <laughs> and then Ed Norton pops his head back in, you know, as his character, and is like, "Oh, so you're not ready to talk about it? I guess." Ha ha. And then it like, I, I, I again, like you could do, you could do a story about Ed Norton, even with the assault. And make it something. I mean, I don't think you you couldn't make him sympathetic really at all. Um, and I, I feel like you don't need to make that story now. I don't. I don't feel like you need it, but you could. You could right. make a much better story could. about Andrew Riceborough and Naomi Watts and their characters and what they're going through and what they're interested in, and even have them like have an affair or something like that. That would be interesting. But what you can't do is have these scenes as weird (laughs) outtakes in the plot of Michael Keaton uh, getting sadder and sadder. Yeah, they're yeah, they're they're all all these things are just like scenes from Curb Your Enthusiasm or something. Like it's just like people playing heightened version of of like showbiz stereotypes. And it's like, isn't this fucking wacky? Isn't this fucking wacky? It really is. The way they casually go over stuff, there's so much stuff that's just like casually crazy. Like when his ex-wife comes in and is like, Yeah, when you threw a kitchen knife at me and then told me you loved me, that is a moment for solid reflection that should let us know that our main character, Birdman, is an awful person. (laughs) And that's the thing. It's like like this this movie's from 2014. Not long enough ago. Not long enough ago to to have the things that it has. Absolutely not. Where like 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 there's a lot of legitimate uh, uh, like emotional introspection in the movie and i think what it does with michael keaton sometimes works really well but also you can't you can't cause him throw a knife at it like have he threw a knife at his wife that's not something you can just drop you, it's hard to make someone sympathetic when they're so clearly awful Right. It's like in right. Kramer vs. Kramer when Dustin Hoffman throws a glass at the wall in Meryl Streep's face. You can't do something like that, that heightened and terrible, yeah. and expect the characters to treat it as if it's – like she still likes him. Yeah, but I mean this is this is the problem. This is like the showbiz movie made for like showbiz people where it's it's like everything is sacrificed or everything is in service of like this like artist process and they all it's like we all get it you know artists go crazy and they have to do what they they're gonna do because they're all tours and they they you know they they have this passion and it's just like i don't know it's just so at this point i'm just so fucking tired of these types of movies <laughs> this whole movie just screams 
actors are the most important people. Can't you see what they give (laughs) up? Can't you see what they go through? What they do to create these performances for you? Fuck you if you're a critic. Fuck you if you're a viewer. You don't matter. (laughs) Okay, the critic thing was so wild. The critic, yeah. It was so wild. The multiple monologues, straight up stagey-ass monologues about how critics are terrible and critique is evil. (laughs) Yeah. The way that they have Tabitha be like, fuck you. I'm never going to give you a positive review. Yes. Like Rat- Ratatouille came out five years before this. Set five seven. Set yeah. Ratatouille came out seven years before this. It did the critic thing ten times better. We're good. <laughs> we- I didn't know where that was going when you brought I'm in Ratatouille. Insane. I didn't. <laughs> that was a wild ride of a tangent. I was like, where is this guy? That was a roller coaster. No, Anton Ego in Ratatouille, probably the best, like, critic in a movie that I can think of. The best, like, I don't know. Amazing. This is an amazing (laughs) Reflection on critique. And then you have this movie where the critic is a straight-up evil villain (laughs) who only gives him a good review after he blows off his own nose. And she thinks it's, like, I guess, uh, art, art. I... I liked the first like 30 minutes of this movie. I was on board as like a fun, like a, like a, a, a satire. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. funny. It's ridiculous. I was on board for a bit too. The camera was freaking me out a little though. I was like, it does not have to keep moving. I did oh yeah. See, I like the camera work it in it. I do too. I just didn't realize. I didn't realize it was a whole movie. That it was a single shot. If it just that did, they did the, ugh. It's fine. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm loving like Alejandro and Ritu is like, okay, this is like whole movie sing. Like it looks like it's a single shot. That's the whole thing. Incredibly difficult to do. We've got Emmanuel. Emmanuel Lubezki in here doing some of the best work of his life. Jess, eh. don't like it. I look. I don't like it. I two thumbs down. I literally paused the movie multiple times so I wouldn't be dizzy. <laughs> when I first watched this movie, and uh, I just, I, I think we were just kind of enamored with the fact that Michael Keaton was like back. I don't know. I feel like this was at the time when he was really on that. He was just coming out on a streak. It was the fucking renaissance of Michael Keaton. So, like, you know, he like has Michael that Keaton, to charisma, fair, man. Fantastic in this movie. He's Michael great. Keaton, great in this movie. Uh, gross character, but like, <laughs> but very. Oh, dangerous. absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love that he's got a um, a uh, horrific, like, proud boy asshole in his head. Honestly. <laughs> That was a wild ride. I, this whole movie, I was like, oh, so it's about mental illness. Like, (laughs) like, I mean, obviously, like, we're talking about ego and prestige and all that stuff. But I was like, he is literally hearing a voice in his head. And he is literally doing shit and not knowing he's doing it. I was like, no, this is, I was like, like, no, this is, this movie has depicted illness. The man is not well. The man is not well. The man is not, not well. well. He acted himself into uh, not a good mental space, in fact. 
And like the movie keeps switching between, I mean, not unlike Argo, keeps switching between ridiculous, like deeply over the top, often shallow satire of like actors and theater and Hollywood to like, oh, this is horrible. Yeah. Oh, these are self-destructive people ruining their own lives. Uh, And then back. And I don't. Sometimes it worked, and a lot of the time it really didn't. Yeah. There's one thing about the movie that I do like about it. It's a very specific thing, but the the way that it's shot from him going like from backstage onto the stage in front of like the you know the crowd. Now that scene was uh, awesome. the Broadway audience. It's it was incredible. It was like I've never seen like something actually like depict the feeling of like walking out on the stage and like that silence of like a whole room filled with people just watching you. It's like, that was like visceral that, you know, that, that, Oh, uh, this is an actor's movie to the core. Yes. Like I, I 100% with you do not think the, like the, like nerves and the, no matter how prepared you are, you're still walking out in front of a billion people or whatever. And yeah, Yep. Everybody's waiting to see if you suck. And I mean, they're not, <laughs> but it feels like it. Like seeing him like yeah. be locked out and like walk through this crowd to get back in. Like the ways that everyone is shouting at him and overwhelming oh, yeah. him, and they all want yeah, different things from him, have different opinions, and he's just being overtaken. That was just like really good to see, and you see like just that energy around him. At, mm-hmm. that is it just it doesn't stop and then even when he gets into the theater it's it sucks the air out of the room the quiet mm-hmm. well, sucks I, the air out of the room I, yes like well i love how i guess unfortunately i feel i can relate to this which is unfortunate but but i i do like how he seems so much more terrified just walking out onto the stage normally than he does after crossing times square in his underwear mm-hmm. uh, yeah because that makes sense to me. At a certain point, you just, um, you just, you got to do what you got to do. Everything is fo- is focused. You just got to move through in your underwear. The embarrassment is happening. You just disassociate. Right. He's not in his head anymore. He's like, he has like a goal at that point. And he's a great actor. Yeah. Uh, with each you performance know. of that, with each performance of that scene, his worry about whether or not it's going to do well is like further and further away from him feeling what the character's feeling. Yeah. Creating a more engaging yeah. performance, right? Yeah. Like totally. It's it there's some parts of this movie that are really well made. However, uh the play therein sucks, right? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like, to suck. I mean it <laughs> seems to be about like something that could be told in in five minutes. <laughs> I mean, that's the five minutes that they keep showing us. (laughs) Yes. And like this, I feel like this is a problem that happens a lot in movies and shows like this, especially if you're doing a work that is um, original where you're like, okay, we need this to be funny, but also we need it to be believably good so that people will cheer for it. I don't, I don't know. This sucks. (laughs) (laughs) just about an affair it's like come on man there's way darker shit that goes on in plays Honestly. than just affairs yeah and like 
even his even his monologue about he feels like he's nothing at the end only doesn't suck the like last two times when it's real. Yeah, like it, it absolutely sucked to start. <laughs> I don't I don't and it's hard to know how much of this is intentional. Like how much of the stagey monologues and how like and the how much of it is commentary or intentional and how much of it is unintentional uh and multiple times in a retu has just been like eh you can analyze it yourself and it's like hey fuck off <laughs> <laughs> i actually wasn't trying to say anything <laughs> well especially in the end of course when we are unsure if um i hated that our or, yeah, <laughs> I'm so uh, sorry. Like, I literally, that was what I decided. Okay, that was what I decided officially that I did not like this movie. <laughs> it really ends on a stinker, don't it? <laughs> was he flying or was he dead? I literally, okay, when he goes on stage with the real gun, right? I'm like, if yeah. he dies, I'm going to hate this movie. I said that literally, I was watching it with a friend of mine. And I said, if he dies, I'm going to hate this movie. And... <laughs> And then he survives, ends up in the hospital, and then we get the ending with Emma Stone looking down and then looking up. I was so irate. Yeah, and I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, so is this a metaphor about how he's finally achieved what he really wanted? Tell me more about how he achieved what he wanted with uh, 80,000 followers on Twitter, (laughs) bitch. I've seen anime stan accounts with more followers. <laughs> no well, that's a, that's a, okay. That's also a thing. There's a lot of like weird <laughs> social media shit in this movie. And it's because so it's bad. 2014. Such old social media shit. <laughs> so bad. Like he's like, I don't like Twitter, and it's like, okay, this was this was moldy in 2014. People were you. Twitter is. <laughs> it was normal. Yeah, it's still being used. I, but like, yeah, like, is this, you know, he's finally achieved what he wanted. He has the love of his ex wife and also his daughter and adulation and immortality. Or is he dead? I don't care either way. And again, in right. was like, you can analyze it yourself. And I'm like, yeah, what if you suck shit? I don't like this. <laughs> it just didn't matter. It didn't matter if he was alive at the end. Because obviously that's no. not the point of the movie. Right. So. Right. And it, it just doesn't do anything for it. Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons why I really had a disdain for it. Because I, I actually really enjoyed the for, like suicide attempt scene where he was on the roof. Mm-hmm. The way that yeah. he, they showed him like rise. Yeah. Like that was like a really awesome like interpretation of mania that whole scene where he's talking to birdman oh totally yeah like his his deteriorating mental state is really really interesting and well done throughout the movie i thought that was handled very elegantly and so for it to end that way (laughs) made me very angry yeah it was like this the ending really did seem like a shoehorned kind of open-ended thing that they wanted people to like write articles about in like the fucking av club or something you know what i mean like it's just like (laughs) yeah so the the explainer articles what did this yeah it's like did this movie need like a thousand explainer articles for like what what do you think emma stone saw it's like it really should have just 
I mean, like I don't know what. I mean, when would you have ended it? Just with him in the hospital like, bed, yeah. Yeah. I don't even. I mean, I don't even know if. Honestly, maybe even in the hospital, we don't know whether he wakes up or not, because that might like, that would be good. Actually. Yeah. He doesn't. Like, uh, okay, part of my issue with it, too, is that all of the surreal elements of the movie, up to the end, all, quote-unquote, make sense as Michael Keaton is mentally ill. Like, and it works really, really, really well, both in a surreal and a metaphorical sense, Mm -hmm. but also in a, this man is mentally ill. And then for it to end with like, ah, we're leaning, embracing the surrealistic. I'm like, what what are you doing? Exactly. To lean into the metaphor after it's very clear that, like the the movie itself makes it clear that he is not actually empowered in a way that he believes that he is. Right. Um, As we see him tear up his own room, thinking he's doing it with the powers that he would have had in the movie Birdman, right? And so we see him physically do that. So you can't really renege uh, that for the ending and go for the surrealist element. You've already dispelled that. Yeah, the, yeah, the, that's what that's what the ending is so confusing about too. Because it's like, wait, did you think that we thought he actually had powers? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, are we supposed to? Are we supposed to be thinking? Does he have powers? Because we're definitely. You know, we, we that has been made clear that he is just insane. But also we would have because he has the thing where like he like shoots himself or whatever and then he appears in the hospital bed and he's getting all this stuff that he wanted, we would have already made the jump like, oh, this is just he's dead. This is just like some fantasy that he had, like like in the split second before he died in the theater or something like that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we would have already been making that interpretation. We didn't need uh, then another fake out of like, is he dead? Is he not? It's like, yeah, we, we were already there. It, so this is a total coincidence, but the day before I watched Birdman, I saw an episode of Gravity Falls where- I'm mad that you're dropping f- Gravity Falls into this, but continue. <laughs> during a theatrical performance, uh, a bunch of fireworks go off and like explode in the audience and in- like on the scenery and set a couple of things on fire. And at the end, um, all of the audience starts yelling and screaming and leaving because they're terrified and they almost got killed, uh, which is a funny joke in a children's show. Um, (laughs) It lands real hard. And then this movie in 2014, and I winner. (laughs) Yep. he's doing a fully straight faced he shot himself in the head and they're all cheering <laughs> when like when like uh, I mean look you can shoot yourself in the head you can have some real good effects on stage for somebody shooting themselves not that good oh yeah everyone uh, kn- would know that that was real immediately exactly uh, Partially because the uh, gunshot would deafen the first five rows. It would be so loud. (laughs) The idea that they sat there and were like, this is normal. And on top of that, this is a theater going audience. Yeah. Right. On opening night, half of them have probably been flecked with like 
viscera. Like, I don't understand. Anyway. But see, if it had ended there, I don't know. That could have been a nice open-ended thing, too, where, like, oh, are th- is them clapping? Is that part of the surreal thing? You know, of, are they clapping, yeah. like, for him committing to, like, some process of like actually doing the thing he was acting out and that's the thing right it would have been interesting if it had ended on him dying and then we see the critic walking out because the way that she left that scene Mm -hmm. like i think that that would have closed the doors that needed to be closed for the movie (laughs) (laughs) without having to overextend it to pretend that he's getting all the admiration that he you know ever wanted which felt so fake and fell so flat for me. Also, it does not cl- – like, so the movie is to some extent an ensemble piece, right? We're getting stuff uh, – we're getting arcs to some extent for Ed Norton, for Andrea Riceborough, mm-hmm. for for his – for Emma Stone, a little bit for Naomi Watts and his ex-wife. Like, it has multiple characters and none of them get endings. Like – the last time we see Ed Norton is on stage. We don't know what happens with Andrea Riceborough or, or, or their relationship. We sort of get some Emma Stone stuff, but we never see Naomi Watts again. Zach Galifianakis. Yeah. Who, by the way. The best friend for, character that we see like twice. Well, hell yeah. The best friend character who in the beginning is doing a whole like, you are like, keep putting me in a terrible position and I'm trying to help you. You need to handle this. And then he doesn't show up again until the end when he's a villain. I really, I was really hoping that, well, one, I was like, huh, Zach Galifianakis can act. (laughs) That was my first thought. Uh, He was crushing. He was hardcore. uh, And then uh, two, right? Like seeing, I I really thought he was going to be the person that, Michael Keaton's character told that he was seeing things because that would have been a really nice good idea. (laughs) I tried Um, because I really was waiting for him to be important. He's introduced um, as a character who has essentially been roped into this because he's been convinced uh, by Birdman that this is going to be their way of achieving, you know, a legacy. He's the only one who notices that Michael Keaton is uh, having a mental break and destroying his entire green room. Which is weird. Um, He notices it and does literally nothing about it. Best friend, my ass. Who wrote this? (laughs) (laughs) Like, very weird that you have Zach Galifianakis, like, doing some... Comedic, but not more comedic than anyone else in the movie. Pulling on that Emmy-nominated baskets energy. Hell yeah. (laughs) Do this. Uh, And then... He's just just not in the movie for the middle hour and ten minutes? Yeah, I I, really wanted him to have more screen time. Maybe Ed Norton would get less or not a sexual assault, one of the two. I I just think that, like, Ed Norton didn't need as much time because he was clearly going to be the asshole character from the moment that he walked in. And I think it's okay to have a character that's just messy and has no aim. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, I, uh, the scenes where he's on the roof with Emma Stone are great. Like his character works 
really well in those scenes. Ed Norton and Emma Stone are great in those scenes. Mm -hmm. The character made sense to me in a better way when he's on the roof and he's acting like a person. Right. However, you cannot give me the roof scenes after the assault. No. Yeah, it just it it creates an entire disconnect. Yeah, I mean, the writers of the movie, they can't imagine a world in which an actor is irredeemable. You know what I mean? It's like, well, they're acting. They have to be redeemable. Like, look, if we put enough time into it, they're going to cheer when he gets busy with Emma Stone on a catwalk. Okay? (laughs) We just have to show that he means it. He sexually assaulted someone, but he did it for the performance. He did it for the performance and not because he was insecure about his impotence. For you, uh, the audience. He's <laughs> <laughs> doing it for you. God. It's cool that Michael Keaton threw a knife at his ex-wife and is casually horrible to his current girlfriend who is trying to get pregnant. And uh, shitty to his daughter, who is clearly dealing with substance abuse and then tries to explain what she's learned in rehab, and he literally wipes his mouth with it. Oh, yeah. And that's like, and that's like, seems to be played as like endearing. It's like not. They're like, ha ha. I know, like, they all think it's just like these funny quirk. I, it's just, these showbiz movies are terrible. But they, I mean, you're right about this Echolophanakis being, you know, it's like the best friend. They're just enablers. That's all they, that's all like, I feel yeah. like the writers know is that, well, actors are surrounded by, enablers that's who their their friends are it's yeah like he seems like he's gonna get an arc finally pushing back on him at the 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 middle part and then no and then we don't see him until he's like yeah yeah you did so well you blew your own nose off yeah you're gonna get a brandishing charge but yeah you have so much buzz i was just gonna say i wonder if the female characters were meant to be used as a foil if they it would and i think that that would work in a way if they were not constantly overshadowed by their male counterparts yes totally totally can't, agree you can't have all, all all four of your main female characters almost exclusively be foils and also over i mean andrew riceboro occasionally gets to be funny and is like Basically, her only the only odd character trait she has is thinking clearly insane, awful things are hot. Which, <laughs> yeah, uh, that made me laugh. I, I, it did get a laugh. There's some good gags but in the movie. There is. I just, I just don't. I don't understand how Zach Galifianakis is not like. My friend tried to kill himself. It's horrible. <laughs> this is like ter- it's like terrifying, truly terrifying thing. And like the, the the level of callousness in the satire there does not work for a movie that has just been almost entirely straight. Like like for twenty for fifteen minutes or so, ever since the beginning of the um the the like we see Birdman bit he it it's not really a comedy it's a i don't know very earnest drama and it's really working and then it drops into comedy again i'm like you're letting the air out of the tires 
yeah, it definitely could have ramped up more if they had <laughs> not decided to go in that direction. I just... Yeah, yeah, I would have liked it to see it, like, go more drama at a certain point. It ends in such a turn. It ends on such a high note. Well, low note or high note. Who can tell? It's open to interpretation. I mean mean him shooting himself on stage like that. All the lead up to that, and that is so effective. Yeah, it is and affecting. And then you're like, okay, uh, five more minutes in the movie. Let me just get up behind this drama and choke its life out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that ending is just. It's just tacked on. But I do think I would watch this before I watched Argo again. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, honestly, absolutely. I already, I watched uh, Birdman with, with a friend of mine, as I mentioned. And then I literally rewatched it this morning. Wow. Because I was I like, mean, I need to look at that again. It's just interesting. I, it's just more of an interesting movie. It's evocative. And, you know, there's some good performances in it. And it has its, like negatives for sure i think everything that's been said you know is totally valid and i agree with but at the end of the day i'm like fuck it i'll just i'll watch michael keaton perform before i watch ben affleck (laughs) same at the end of the day part of the argo theory is you know argo is true neutral i would always rather a very ambitious sometimes successful sometimes fail like i'll take a fiasco over Argo, which is um, a straight line. Right. It is a flat line. It just goes on for two hours and nine minutes. I definitely prefer a movie that's trying to do something and trying to have a message to a movie that's attempting to portray a weird neutrality. Now, now Scott, uh, I mentioned this beforehand. I... I did want to try uh, a segment here. Now you just watched you watched Birdman several days ago. Uh, yep. You just watched Argo. So we're going to try this out. Is there a scene in Birdman that you think would translate into the fake Argo movie, <laughs> the Dune ass Argo movie? What scene in Birdman would be in Argo? Okay. Now, I'm going to go maybe with an obvious choice here, but I'm going to say the intro, old man in his underwear levitating. That would be in Argo, (laughs) the fictional movie Argo. It's just an old man shirtless in his underwear, tidy whities levitating. I'm imagining that it's like some sort of like Jedi master that these Argo people have on their their ship or something. That's my justification for it. There's like an Obi-Wan Kenobi that is uh, also a failed superhero actor. (laughs) He's doing a Luke Skywalker and like, you know, uh, projecting his consciousness 10 planets over and just levitating. (laughs) The only way he can do it is if he, you know, just sits there in his pale white body. Yeah, in his pale white body. I like that. Thank you, Scott. That's a pretty my You're welcome. Good solid. Mine, mine is I don't I don't think as good. Uh mine is so I'm thinking Argo is going in a sort of a gross cable TV direction. Uh sort mm. of a, a dumb sex comedy like 
space fantasy movie, right? Something that you see on HBO at 8 p.m. <laughs> in 1980. Like, it's not, it's not late night, but it's not good. So I'm thinking the scene where uh, Michael Keaton is locked out of the theater and has to walk around the entire theater in his tidy whities just that, uh, but translate it to our comic relief character in Argo. Uh, the dumb sidekick to the main character gets locked out of the spaceship <laughs> in the mm-hmm. bazaar and has to run in his boxers, well, his tidy whities <laughs> through the bazaar to get to the other side of the spaceship before it takes <laughs> off. And <laughs> is just getting screamed at by racist alien caricatures. <laughs> Just 40 wattos just running behind him <laughs> screaming. By the way, that scene, just uh just from a from a like a theater perspective, horrif- horrifying. Getting locked out of the theater, terrifying. Oh Awful. my god. Oh yeah, man. That's worse raised, nightmare kind of shit. That's nightmare material. <laughs> once once while I was in a like a high school community theater play, I was taking a dump. I was taking a <laughs> I was taking a dump wall like two minutes before my scene was set, like set to start. I am in my habit for Friar Lawrence and my scene happens. And I had to like, there was a 30 second delay while I ran from the bathroom on stage because they could not find me. Oh my god. Wild. That's insane. It, I haven't thought about that in many years, but it is the closest to that experience I've had, and it was uh, <laughs> horrific. That's what Birdman's good for. It just calls up these repressed theater memories. <laughs> them- uh, another repressed non-theater memory, a repressed Argo memory, uh, when I first started going to school... <laughs> I have a repressed Argo memory of when I was taken hostage in Iran when I was 12. <laughs> I do have a repressed Argo memory of uh, when I acted in a fake movie that was just to rescue people <laughs> from an embassy. Um, when I was going to school, I, I like one of my, like a mentor at church that I, uh, like knew well lived right next to the school that all three of us went to. And when I told him that I was pursuing acting, his response was, well, you know, I work at the NSA and we're always looking for people with, you know, good acting experience. So if you want a job, come talk to me. Wild. What an offer. Shit. That really was a repressed Argo memory. You weren't kidding. Holy shit. That's like big stuff. It did not register to me because I was a young lib. A little centrist boy. (laughs) 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 I wanted to. I could always try to be recruited by the NSA. And here we are now on a podcast where you directly call the CIA evil. 
<laughs> a statement that is not incorrect, but would not get you a job at the NSA. <laughs> yeah, if that's your goal, you just fucked up big time. <laughs> Damn it, I was going to call him tomorrow and see if I could get back in the NSA. Jamal, I, I'm sorry, but uh, I don't think you're going to get that call back. <laughs> Do you have any extra work? I could just like do like background in one of your ops if you don't mind. <laughs> and you know, I'll just be the hangout using uh, the money to enjoy myself uh, and hang out with Hollywood people and go to cool parties. <laughs> like, listen, the, I drive past the NSA headquarters all the time. By the way, the NSA headquarters are fucking crazy. They're huge and nobody knows exactly how many buildings there are, or exactly how much space they take up or what's in them. Christ. Uh, they're that makes uh, sense. massive and many people are there and I don't uh, it's, it seems evil. Uh, and if I had made a few different choices, maybe I could have been over there. A few different choices, uh-huh. bitch. You would have had to make one. <laughs> what do you mean? A few different choices. That was one choice. One choice, and I would become <laughs> Scotsman's lying. Bitch. <laughs> Jamal, you could It was one tw- mistake you made. All you had to do was say yes. <laughs> 2024, I could lead a mission, <laughs> lead a mission and do a. Like a fake ass reboot of Riddick. Sounds to, to me like you missed a good pension. <laughs> Could have been in the theater department at the NSA. Oh, Could have been teaching I mean, spies how to act. It's good work if you can get it. You get your equity quick. <laughs> uh, boy. Hey, Jess, did you have an Argo scene? <laughs> Oh, uh, I was thinking, uh, okay, if Argo is going in the direction of, like, a sort of, like, Star Wars direction, (laughs) I was thinking (laughs) about, like, if the main character joins the dark side. So that scene where he's, like, walking down the street and he's, like, blowing stuff up and and the bird's, (laughs) like, right behind him. Birdman's right behind him. It's, like, that is straight up not even no this that's science fiction i love the idea of like oh yeah sorry kylo ren joins the good side no ray joins the bad side <laughs> i mean him just him like throwing stuff around with his mind is 100 percent just kylo ren having a tantrum so i think it works. it literally oh, is my <laughs> oh my god that really is i live for those kylo ren memes <laughs> Dude, Birdman would be such a good villain in Argo. Seriously. <laughs> he really would. All right, so the villain is Michael Keaton playing Argo. <laughs> He's just taunting him on the toilet. <laughs> black black pilling him hardcore. <laughs> You've got powers. Why don't they you use them? them? Understand? They all love your stupid shit. <laughs> He's just a Rorschach. You. <laughs> just a misunderstood Watchman. Also, he looked so beautifully dumb. Like all oh, that ruled. 
just I mean, first of all, Michael Keaton's facial hair in general, but also the Birdman costume, the Birdman voice. Oh yeah, that shit was hilarious. That horrific really was. bird noise that came out of Michael Keaton's oh, mouth. Oh my god, that horrific little whimper hawk sound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't. Like that's the indicator of mental illness. That's what it. Like that's how you know we've hit rock bottom. It's not the suicide attempts. It's that he let that noise come out of his lungs. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you maybe cut that joke. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think you know. I like it. I like it. Keep it in. Like, keep it in. Yo, he said keep it in the pod. No. Keep it in. <laughs> now you have to. Keep it in. Oh, God. Well, uh, I mean, I think we've effectively wrapped it up here. I think we can confirm Birdman better than Argo, but major problems. Maybe more uneven. I agree. I specifically like Birdman more than Argo, and I don't like oh, Birdman. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, it's almost like repeatedly viewing Argo. Um is making you like it less. Jamal, I think that you could ask me that question, but Mm -hmm. I also think that we'll watch Argo again and we'll see how we feel. It's almost as if there are about 82 years of Oscar-winning movies. Uh, I was incorrect, actually. It's like 88. Ah, noted. It's almost as if there's 88 Oscar-winning movies to go through. I'm telling you, after like ten more episodes, you guys are gonna start liking Argo. <laughs> like you're gonna, it's gonna come around, and then you're gonna not like it again, and then eventually it'll come back around. You'll love it, Scott. It's so gonna be like a character arc. <laughs> there's been a total of 92 Oscars, and we've watched four, so we've got 88 left. Jesus Christ! Still more character than anyone in Argo. <laughs> Um, well, the, char- Scott, the character arc st- of us watching Argo. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us um, and watching Argo and a different movie. I'm sure we'll have you on again. That's right. You oh, Christ. Have- <laughs> you oh, signed Christ. up to con- inconvenience yourself once again. It's ending with a threat. I didn't expect that. The podcast is ending with a threat. Here's your options. You you be on Hayden 08 again, or you have to do this. That I'll be made to watch Argo again is killing me as we end this podcast at 3 a.m. The idea of watching it again. I mean, thank you for having me. I, I, I I had a fucking blast. You two are fucking hysterical, and I'm glad that I could purge Argo from my system. Uh, and I introduced am it, it and purged it immediately. Yes. We induced <laughs> it and purged it in the same marathon session. Amazing. And I'm, fucking, I'm ready to watch Vantage Point now, motherfuckers. That's what I'm trying oh, to do. Yeah, baby. Kessler's watching Vantage Point. <laughs> oh, Wait, we can watch it uh, at my house on my DVD player post COVID. <laughs> Fuck yes. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. You were a fantastic guest. You're amazing. Is there anything you wanna anything you wanna plug? Um well, I'm on TikTok. I'm on TikTok. Whoa, Scott, <laughs> you're on TikTok? That's powerful. You, you and I'm on TikTok. If any any uh, middle schoolers out there want to follow me on TikTok, it's at Scott Cease uh S E I S S. And I'm also don't aim for them. 
Don't uh, we, uh, don't don't target them. What's that? Don't, mm, that's okay. I don't, cut out when I said middle schoolers, please. <laughs> only adults. Adults. Adults only on my TikTok. Please cut out where I say middle schoolers. Um, I'll know if this is in. I will we'll listen to this. I forward the podcast to this point, and I will listen to see if you kept this in. Uh, sir, uh, I believe I'm a middle schooler. <laughs> There's a lot of problems. There's, There's so a much lot of problems. Um, I'm also, this isn't a project I'm involved in, but um, you can stream all of Kitchen Nightmares on Hulu right now. And it's really, really good. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Go look, go check out Scott on TikTok. Go watch Gordon Ramsay and all of Kitchen Nightmares. <laughs> uh, Jess, where can we find you? And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Just Certified. Right. You can uh, find me at Jamal B. Berenger on like whatever crap. Also, uh, listen to my other podcast, Hate No Wait, uh, which is Hate No Wait on Twitter. And on any podcast app or whatever you listen to. I don't care. Um, you listen to this, so you deserve a break. Honestly, you really do. The listeners are the <laughs> real winners here. The listeners are the real heroes, not the CIA. Uh, <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for listening to All Systems Argo. Bye. Goodbye. Hey, everyone. It's Jess. Thank you for hanging in with us on such a great conversation about such a complex movie. Did you think Birdman passed the Argo rule? If you haven't already... Don't forget to follow us at The Argo Rule and let us know what you think. All Systems Argo was edited and produced using Alitu and Audacity. The music in this episode was Everyone by Loyalty Free Music. Special thanks to editor and producer Ian for their work on this episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.